we're doing a pretty good job here at Hope Chapel reaching multiple generations. But I suggested that we needed to work on moving from being multi-generational to being intergenerational, which is bringing the old and the young together more frequently. Now, that's not a simple task, but it's not really that complicated. There's a lot of things that we can do, a lot of things that there are environments here at Hope Chapel that make this successful. But it's going to take effort and desire, I think a lot of desire, from all the generations in order to make this work, young and old. We need the desire to make this work. We need the effort to make it happen. Last week, we talked about uh, the older generation, which I've defined as 55 years or older. I didn't make many friends last week. And uh, so, sorry about that. But we encouraged the younger generation to honor and care for the older generation, to seek out the wisdom from the older generation. And uh, just so you know, I did call my grandmother that I promised that I would do last week. But now I've got to call my own mother, my own father, because I haven't done that lately. So if they're listening online, I promise I will call this week. All right. Um, But we also talked about that we need from the older generation for them to remain faithful and for them to continue to lead. Well, today we're going to talk about the younger generation, things that we need from the younger generation, ways in which we view the younger generation. And I need to define the younger generation. So I'm going to go with the same study that said older generation is 55 years or older and say 34 years and younger is the younger generation. How many of you are 34 years old or younger? Raise your hand. Nice try, Bob. (laughs) All right, good, good, good. 34 years and younger. We're going to be talking kind of about you or how we should view you. And then we're going to talk about what do we need from you specifically being in the younger generation. All right. Now, how many of you are 35 years old to 54 and you've realized, I'm not in either one of those, right? Woohoo! You're off scot free, right? <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. You actually fit into both categories. You're, you're middle aged, you're strong, you can handle it, you can take on all the responsibilities that we talked about last week and this week, all right? Because you're kind of in, in the middle. And so I encourage you to also to kind of tune in to how you can fit in here. So we'll have some specific instructions for the younger generation here in just a minute. But I want us to understand what we need to do, being the older generations and the middle generations to the younger ones. First of all, we need to include and embrace the younger generation like family. We need to include and embrace the younger generation like family. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We looked at these verses last week, but it applies again to this week. 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you're using the Bibles and the chairs in front of you, this is on page 1009. And, and Timothy is a book where the Apostle Paul is writing to this young pastor, teaching him about how to do ministry as well as how to just in, engage people. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, the younger women as sisters. Again, Paul is saying that we need to treat one another like family. 
The idea is that family helps one another. The family is there for one another. And as we mentioned last week, it's about honoring and caring for the older generation because we're family. We're in this together. We need to be there for one another. And families, though, you know, don't always see eye to eye on everything, right? Families sometimes argue. Sometimes families fight. And it's no different with the family of God. Sometimes we don't see everything eye to eye. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes we fight. But the thing is that families are supposed to love one another like nobody else. If there's someone who can love you, it's your family. And when we talk about the family of God, that is a place where we ought to love one another. Because we are to be a good family that that reflects the good, good father, the good heavenly father. All of us have been adopted into his family when we accept Jesus Christ, his one and only son, for the salvation of our sins. And so we're in this good family, so we ought to reflect a good family. We're not just strangers or friends that meet together for church. And so we ought to love on one another. We ought to greet each other with a hearty handshake, with a high five, fist bump, or hugs, if that's okay with you. We ought to just embrace one another, include one another as family. Whether we see each thing, each things eye to eye, whether we, we don't re- really relate with how things are being done, whether we grew up in a different generation, whatever it is, we can embrace and include in one another. And we also share not just what happens here at church, but we share our lives with one another. Many of you know the verse that Jesus says, do not hinder the little children to come to me, right? It's a very interesting story. It's included in three of the gospel books. There's four books that talk about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not even the birth of Jesus is included in three of the gospel books. So this is an important story. This is an, an important teachings of Jesus. And it's included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I particularly like the nuance that Mark talks about this. So if you take your Bibles and just flip backwards just a few, you'll run into the gospel books. And in Mark chapter 10, which is on page 856, here's the story in verse 13. Some people were bringing little children to him so he might touch them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. I assure you, whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, this word indignant, highly displeased, is the only time it's used for Jesus. Jesus was frustrated. He was disappointed in several other occasions with his disciples because they just didn't understand what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. But this is the only time that he was outwardly upset with his disciples. He paused his teaching to deal with this situation. 
The word is used other times in the New Testament, sometimes with his disciples. Like his disciples were angry at each other because James and John, two of the disciples, he, they asked Jesus, can we be a part of your future royal administration when you enter into your kingdom? And the rest of the disciples, they got all angry at James and John. They're like, why did you ask that question? That's such a stupid question. Or I wish I thought of that question first. They were also upset, highly displeased, indignant with Mary, the redeemed prostitute, as she was pouring out expensive oils, perfume on Jesus days before he's crucified. They were highly displeased that Mary would do that. The disciples were not the smartest or the most compassionate group of members sometimes. And Jesus would calmly guide them from their error many times. But this time, Jesus said, no. I'm not just going to deal with this in staff meeting later. I'm calling attention to this right now in front of everybody. See, the disciples were there kind of protecting Jesus' time and space. Because as Jesus traveled around healing and teaching and preaching, lots of people came to him. Large crowds formed. And the disciples were giving Jesus his space and his time. But the system in which they were going about this created a system that said, Jesus is for adults. That's what they were saying. Jesus is for adults, and the kids just needed to be off to the side until the adults were done doing grown-up talk, grown-up business. I mean, the, G, the kids, they couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about. I mean, many people had a hard time understanding Jesus. His own disciples couldn't understand some of the parables of Jesus at times. So the kids, they wouldn't understand. The kids would be too loud. People couldn't hear Jesus. They wouldn't be able to sit still and listen. So let's just make sure the kids are off to the side. Maybe give them some coloring pages or some crossword puzzles. Give them some entertainment with some babysitters until us grown-ups are done talking. And Jesus says, that's horrendous. That is not okay. That will stop immediately. You know, kids in our Kids Connect, it's not a place where they can play and be watched in a safe environment until we're done with church. Kids Connect is not a Sunday daycare. Alpha and Omega youth nights on Monday night and Wednesday night are not alternative activities for teens to come to so they don't get in trouble. It's a place where they engage Jesus Christ. It's a place where Jesus embraces them. And Jesus is saying, children don't need to become adults to understand me. Adults need to become like children to understand me. We as adults, we've got to be like kids and approach Jesus with an open heart and unyielding obedience to follow after him. Because for so many adults... When they come to life, life has hurt them. There has been many people who have broken their trust. And they want to try to go to God? Where was God when I needed him? I can't go to him and trust him completely. And so Jesus is saying, but no, embrace me. Trust me like a child. You can trust me. I, I, I love you. I want to embrace you. I want to include you in. 
And so it's important for us to reach out to kids and teens and young adults and college students and introduce them to Jesus before the hurt of this world has a chance to build so many calluses around their hearts. Some of that looks like when when kids or teens or young adults walk into our doors here at Hope Chapel. It means that we ought to be blasting them with smiles and hellos and just saying, Wow, it is so amazing to see you here. I'm so glad that you're here. Smiling at them, acknowledging them, giving them eye contact. It does wonders for them. But if we have to admit, I think adults sometimes, and I'm guilty of this myself, is that our faces more say, I'm in pain. I'm grumpy. I'm angry. I'm meh. Right? That's our faces. Our faces don't say, Woo, I'm glad you're here. I'm so excited to see you. And sometimes I'm not sure our faces even say, Woo, I'm glad I'm here. (laughs) So we need to change on how we look. What does our faces communicate? Are we smiling? Are we happy that they're here? Are we happy that we're here? We need to be inviting and welcoming them in, even just how we look. Some of that does have to do with volunteering down in Kids Connect. I'm going to be giving them a plug. Kids Connect, they need people not just to be teachers. They're looking for helpers. Helpers that come alongside the teachers. Do you know what helpers do? Helpers go down there, smile at kids, and talk to them. That's it. No prep required. You show up, you smile, and you talk with kids. You connect with them. That's why we call it Kids Connect. Kids Connect is not about kids just connecting with other kids and having a great time and learning about God. That's part of it. But Kids Connect is about adults connecting with kids so that we can introduce them and connect them to Christ. And so they're looking for Just people who can connect with kids. There's a huge opportunity and impact in reaching the next generation by providing a dynamic place where kids want to be because they know that we want them to be there. I want to say that again. Kids Connect is a huge opportunity and impact in reaching the next generation by providing a dynamic place where kids want to be because they know we want them to be there. Do kids know that we want them to be here? It also looks like volunteering in Alpha and Omega Youth Nights on Monday night and Wednesday night. Did you know that the youth on Wednesday nights, which are senior hires, who are getting ready to graduate, go off to college, go off into the real world, where 75% of those rarely return back to the church, Wednesday night, senior high, there is not one male leader besides kin investing into the lives of teenagers on a regular basis that I'm aware of. There's a couple of female leaders, and as far as I know, one of them is over the age of 30, sharing their age and wisdom, and she'd get mad if I told you what her age was. I wonder what Jesus would think about that. Would he say, that's horrendous. That's not okay. Your system of doing church says, 
you go over there and you learn about Jesus. And we'll go over here and we'll learn about Jesus. Is it conveying to teenagers you are valued, you are loved, you are a part of this family of God? I think it ought to anger us because I think it angers Jesus. Inviting and embracing the younger generation as family. That's what we need to be doing. Two, we need to listen to their insight. We need to listen to their insight. I want you to look at Job chapter 32. It's in the Old Testament. You've got to back up quite a bit. Job chapter 32. I'll give you the page number here, 446. Now, if you don't know the book of Job, Job is a great story about this guy who had it all together. He had seven sons, three daughters, a lot of business, a lot of property, a lot of wealth. And there was some interchange between Satan and God saying, Job doesn't really love you just because you provide him stuff. That's why he loves you. And so God allows Satan to wipe it all out, killing his sons and daughters, destroying his business, even sores all over his body. Job was turmoiled inside and out. All that was left was his wife who said, curse God and die. And then three friends show up to comfort Job. And for like the first 30 chapters or so, it's just about the friends going back and forth with Job. And the friends are saying, what did you do? What did you do that God would do this to you? Come on, Job, just tell us. What happened? What would you do? And Job is saying, I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what happened to me. And if God would come down, he would tell you that I don't deserve this. And they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then in Job chapter 32, there's this new character that comes up. He's not mentioned any other time before. He's not included in the three other friends that it mentions at the beginning. There's this, this new character. And so I want to read about him in Job chapter 32. Your notes, I think, said start in verse 6. We're going to back up to verse 1. Job 32, starting in verse 1. So these three men quit answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite, from the family of Ram, became angry. He was angry at Job because he was justified himself rather than God. He was also angry at Job's three friends because they had failed to refute him and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were all older than he. But when he saw that the three men could not answer Job, he became angry. So Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite, replied, I am young in years while you are old. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to tell you what I know. The th- I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. But it's the spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty that give him understanding. It's not only the age who are wise or the elderly who understand how to judge. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I will declare what I know. Now, Elihu is a bold young man. And the way in which he communicates to his elders in the next five chapters, many of you would say he's being disrespectful. But Elihu had sat there and listened to his elders. 
He listened to them first. He honored and cared for the older generation. He listened to Job's cries and whines and aches and testimonies. He listened to the other three friends' arguments and consolations. Um, but he, he saw something missing that was important. He had learned something about God in his young age, and nobody was bringing that up. And so he felt the need that he needed to say something. Elihu respected his elders. He listened. He accepted that older people are wise because of their age. But he recognized that age doesn't equal spiritual maturity. Age doesn't equal spiritual maturity. It doesn't always mean if you're older, that you have a grasp on the theology of God, His judgment, sin, mercy, grace, sovereignty, all of those things. It's not about your age. It's about your phase with God. It's not about how long you've been alive on earth. It's how, how long have you been alive in Christ? How long have you been alive in Christ, learning from the true maker, the true master, the true teacher? That's where wisdom comes from. And when we introduce kids and teenagers to Christ, we are setting them up to be wise beyond their years. And so we need to to listen to them and allow them to speak so they can flesh out what it is that they're learning and how it applies to their life. There's a lot of learning that happens with listening. But there's a lot of learning that happens from speaking and practicing. You may have a lot of ideas and thoughts and opinions kind of floating around in your head, but are you really able to put them together so that it makes sense? And talking it out kind of allows you to to put the pieces together, to connect the dots. And so we need to be allowing the younger generation to talk about those things, to speak of them. And we don't often invite the younger people to speak, I don't think. Last week we talked about the younger generation needing to go to the older generation to ask them for wisdom, but that doesn't always happen. And some of that happens because there's a level of intimidation and fear from the younger generation in regards to the older generation. They're not really seeking out their wisdom. Some of that comes from they don't even know the questions to ask. They have no idea what kind of questions to even ask you about wisdom. But some of it comes from intimidation and fear. Elihu said, I was timid and afraid to talk to you, Job, and your three friends. Think about that for a minute. The younger generation is afraid to talk to those who are wise. If the younger generation can't go to somebody to talk about life, to talk about God, to talk about faith, what are they supposed to do with that? What are they supposed to do when they see the wrong that's happening in the world if they can't go to anybody and talk about it? We need to go to them and ask them questions. We need to allow them to speak and help them navigate what's going on in their feelings and their thoughts and their beliefs by just allowing them to talk it out. And then the point is to allow them to speak, not just so that we can interrupt and and, and comment or give our insight or, 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 you know, kind of minimize their experiences. We need to allow them to talk. Because the moment that you over-talk them or the moment that you interrupt them is the moment that they, they stop talking. 
They don't think that you really care to listen to them. And so just listen to them. Have this dialogue back and forth. Give them some nuggets for them to think about from time to time. Or maybe share a story that can relate. But just listen. Listen to their insight. The responsibility lies on the younger generation to go to the older generation. But the responsibility also lies in the older generation to go to the younger generation and listen. So what does that look like? Well, maybe that looks like just partnering with a family. Maybe that's looking around and saying, there's a family that's close by and I don't really know them. Maybe I should adopt them for the next month. Go to them and say, can I adopt you for the next month? Can I just invite you over for dinner? Can I just get to know you, get to know your kids' names? Can I just kind of invest in you and and, and vice versa? Can we just get to know one another more? Maybe it's going up to a young adult, it's going up to the college students and saying, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Let's go to lunch. just want to get to know you more. It's about partnering with different generations and praying for them. I heard about this adult life group that's connecting with a youth group, and they're just praying for one another. The adults are praying for the younger students. The younger students are are praying for the older adults. That's cool. We need more of that kind of stuff. The older generation, we need to be inviting and welcoming and embracing the younger generation. We need to be listening to their insights. But we need some things from you, younger generation. What do we need from you? Well, first, we need you to pursue faithfulness. We ask the older generation to remain faithful, but we're asking you to pursue faithfulness. I want you to turn back to 1 Timothy. We looked at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. So this is on page 1010 in the Bibles and the chairs. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But you, man or woman of God, run from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. As a young person, you're in pursuit of so many things in life, right? You're in pursuit of education. You're in pursuit of a career. You're in pursuit of a car. You're in the pursuit of a better car. You're in the pursuit of a spouse. You're in the pursuit of just somebody that wants to hang out with you and and watch a movie or whatever. You're in the pursuit of a lot of things in life, and those things are all important. Those things you need, but you need God more. And you need to learn contentment really quick. You need to be in pursuit of God and you need to be learning contentment very quickly because your heart will always desire more, more knowledge, more money, more stuff, more love. And your desire and pursuit of more will be endless and will be unsatisfying. 
It's something that's been happening since the creation of mankind. Adam and Eve, they wanted more. There's an Old Testament book written about the desire and the chasing of more. Ecclesiastes. It's the pursuit of more and it's so unsatisfying. So if you think, oh, I'll be, I'll be fine. I can pursue these things and, and I'll be okay. You won't be okay. Everybody has tried it before. You're not going to be any different. You're going to be pursuing more and more that could lead to you not pursuing God. The Apostle Paul here says, I don't want you just to think about this. I don't want you just to kind of keep things in check from time to time. He said, run from these things. Run. Run from the desire and the pursuit of more. Pursue instead the things of God. Run after godliness. Run after faithfulness. Run after living a godly life. Learn contentment. Learn through the tough times how to depend on God. Because there is much gain in your life to pursue godliness and to pursue contentment. So to pursue godliness with your time. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your free time? Are you filling up that free time with video games or Snapchatting or whatever it is that I don't even know what you're doing? What do you do with your time? If you're not filling it with God, you're filling it with something else. And that something else may not help you in your relationship with God. And there's nothing wrong with some entertainment or some mindless activities But you need to keep that in check. You need to be the boss of your time. You need to make time work for you. You need to make sure that your time is being being filled with in your pursuit of faithfulness. Because suddenly you'll come to a time where you'll go, I don't really remember the last time that I read my Bible. I don't really remember the last time that I prayed or the last time I was part of youth group or the collegiate group or the, the last time anything with God. I don't remember. You'll find yourself making foolish decisions the farther you are away from God. So be purposeful with your time. Also pursue godliness in your relationships. The people you hang out with will have a direct impact on your life. They'll have a direct impact on how you view life, what they view as important, and how you view your relationship with God. And it's okay to hang out with people who don't have a relationship with God, but eventually that relationship may have a strain in it. Either they won't want to hang out with you, or you won't want to hang out with them, or both of you are hanging out together, and neither one of you are hanging out with God. And so I encourage you to to talk to the older generation, because they've experienced this already before. What about friends who aren't godly friends, or... What about the boyfriend or girlfriend that aren't necessarily having a relationship with God? What, what can I expect? And they'll tell you from their own experiences. So just seek out their wisdom. Seek out their advice. Pursue godliness in your relationships. We need you to pursue faithfulness, to be good godly examples to your generation and to our generation. We're going to try to guide you and to be faithful ourselves, but we can't do it for you. It's up to you. Well, lastly, we need you to participate. We need you to participate. In 1 Timothy, we're going to look at chapter 4. So it's flip one page over. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's a great book because Paul's writing to this, this young preacher. 
1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Now, I'm sure the younger generation has heard this verse over and over and over, right? Don't let people despise your youth, but live faithfully and so on and so forth. We have it written on the wall in our fifth grade room, right? Don't let anybody despise your youth. But I want to kind of focus on the other things in this passage. The, the, the parts where Paul is tell, telling Timothy to, to pay attention to public reading, to public encouragement, to public teaching. Paul is telling Timothy, use the gift that God has given you. Paul is telling Timothy, practice those things. Paul is telling Timothy, you're not that good. But one day you can be better. Right? Isn't that what Paul's saying in verse 15? He said, practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. You need to practice, Timothy. You're not that great. We'll just be honest. You may not be the greatest speaker. You may not be the greatest singer. You may not be the greatest guitar player. You may not be the greatest leader. You may not be the greatest organizer. You may not be the greatest whatever God has given you. But practice. Practice, and, and one day you're going to be better because everything gets better with practice. I mean, look at me. I'm preaching here in a public platform. And, and one day I hope that people will say, wow, you're doing better than you were before. And I don't do these things so I get a pat on the back. And I'm not just sitting out in my office waiting for Neil to be gone so that I can fill in. But when I do, I'm committed to it. I, I practice it. And, and, I, and I participate wherever I can. And I want to see people impacted by what God has to say them through his word. And so whether that's through a life group study, whether that's in our foundations of hope class, whether that's in me teaching the fifth graders that I've been doing this last year, I find the places where I can participate, where I can practice, where I can be committed so that when I have an opportunity to do it in public, I'm not stumbling on my words. I'm not a distraction from God working. That's my prayer. And I think I'm doing a little bit better than I was in my seminary days practicing in class. I think I'm doing better than when I first did it in, in church a few years ago. But I practice. It may seem weird, but I practice to the wall before I come in here. Gail sometimes looks in the window in my office and my hands are moving. I'm, I'm practicing my, to myself. Because some of us, I'm young in the preaching. I, I'm not up here every week for the last 15 years. And so I practice. I'm committed to it. I participate. And so my encouragement is for you is to practice, to keep it up. Yeah, you may not be good, but one day you'll be good if you're committed to it, if you're practicing, if you're participating in any, everywhere you can. 
And wherever that looks like for you, whether that's being a part of the worship team or whether that's being involved in teaching and preaching or, or whether that's being in the sound booth or whether that's controlling the camera or whether that's part of our missions committee and, and you're, you're telling the church about ways to be involved in our community, whatever it is, however God has gifted you, participate, be involved. We need you to be involved. We need you to be on a schedule. You know, don't show up and go, eh, you need some help today. No, say, I want to be involved. I, I want to be committed. Put me on a schedule so that I can practice and, and be involved. Be on a regular rotation. Because I don't want to hear anymore, oh, look at the young people, the future of the church. Wrong. They are the church. And if we keep saying they're the future of the church, there won't be a future of the church. They're the church now. Let them participate. Include them. Welcome them in. Young people, pursue faithfulness. Participate. Practice. Be committed. Well, there's a lot of things that we talked about last week and this week with the older and younger generation, right? Honoring and caring for the older generation, seeking out their wisdom, encouraging them to remain faithful, encouraging them to lead this week, about the younger generation, inviting and welcoming them in, uh, listening to their insight, asking them to, to pursue faithfulness and to participate. That's, that's a lot, but it doesn't have to be complicated. We just need to embrace one another and become the family of God that God wants us to be. So let's pray.